Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now, this evening is the observance of the circumcision of Jesus, Circumcision Sunday. Now, our text this evening is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 15 through 24. That's page 857 in your pew Bible. Now, the account of the circumcision and dedication of Jesus is only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. But he sets it within a wider context the response of both Simeon and Anna. In it we see how our Savior begins his act of obedience according to the law of Moses, brought by two godly parents, Joseph and Mary. Although one could argue that this is just a simple chronicle of events that very dedicated Luke is writing for us, it's not just that. There is so much more here. Because in it, we are witnessing the first steps of the age to come. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is, is that our Savior, Jesus, and the apostles did not teach in any other distinctions but two. That is, of this age and the age to come. In Matthew 12, 32, Our Savior uses exactly this language. And Paul, again, himself in Ephesians, very clearly talks about this age or the age to come. We find the other gospel writers recording Jesus saying this again and again in his teaching ministry here among us on earth. And the Apostle Paul describes the Lord as ruling now in this age and in the age to come. So for biblically faithful Christians, it's important for us not to make too many distinctions between ourselves and what actually is going on in the Old Testament. Indeed, it is Abraham who becomes the pattern of our own life in faith, who trusted God, and it was reckoned to him as righteous, as Romans 4 tells us. So we must ask another question. Why is it that Luke underlines these events of circumcision and dedication? It's so that he can underline for the believer how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament covenant. In other words, there is a structure or pattern in these two events. Luke invites us to look backward through the age that we are in currently, to the Old Testament testimony of long ago, and then forward to their completion in the arrival of the Lord Jesus, which heralds now the age to come. Now we can understand why this was a question of the time when we consider John the Baptist's own inquiry to Jesus concerning his Messiahship. John, as the last of the Old Testament prophets, 
understood at that time a hard break between this age and the age to come. Indeed, the language of the prophets, Joel and Malachi, spoke of the day of the Lord. Judgment was to be rolled out. But John sees healings instead. But what does our Savior do? He refocuses John's expectation. Yes, there is judgment to come, but the church, God's people, are to experience a renewed existence as the age to come is now ushered in. In other words, there's an overlap between the old covenant, which is fulfilled, and the new, which we ourselves are heirs and beneficiaries. But we must be clear here, there is an overlap, but not a separation. To insist on one is to overturn, indeed, our Savior's own teaching. There is one continuous age in this age with different modes of administration. Therefore, when a Christian believer comes to understand their baptism in the name of Christ, we should also understand its content. In other words, it's not simply that an individual who is now converted, born again, and baptized as a testimony of their faith, but rather that a Christian baptism gathers the entirety of circumcision's content in which the Lord Jesus himself stood in his obedience, but not for himself, but on behalf of his people. As Hebrews wrote this evening that we heard, he has gone before us beyond the veil and has become a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He is our forerunner. Indeed, in the title itself, implies that others will follow after him. So we should consider then how Jesus fulfills the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, still valid today, and how he fulfills the Mosaic covenant in the dedication. So let's look first on his circumcision. How does this fulfill the Abrahamic covenant? And what indeed does it have to do with us? We just heard in our Old Testament reading how circumcision was the sign and seal of the covenant God made with Abraham. And here in verse 21, we can see that by the time of Jesus, it was also regarded as a naming ceremony. If we're to go earlier into Luke's gospel, we see that this at length when Zechariah is questioned as to the name of the baby. Friends and family insisting that it should be a family name, but Zechariah writes on his tablet, no, his name is John. These events happened at the circumcision of John the Baptist. So what indeed is the rite of circumcision? Well, the rite of circumcision was a rite of passage that cut away the foreskin of a male child as a mark of covenant allegiance. It marked you visibly and included you receiving your name in public for the first time. It was then that the name, perhaps only known by the couple up to this point, is made known to the covenant community. 
It is the first time in a public way he is pointed to by his parents in his name. They are confessing their faith in God's promise to them by saying that God's promise is fulfilled in Jesus, and he is the Savior we have waited for. But we have to go a bit deeper here, don't we? Because we must remember also that the Old Testament word for covenant is built on the Hebrew word to cut. Now, what is that about? Well, Hebrews again helps us this evening because that is where God affirms his covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. It's set within the cultural pattern of the time. Abraham has asked for a sign and God graciously provides it, affirming his promise forever. Abraham is commanded by God to make a path of animals, brought an offering that are literally cut in half. That's the verb to cut, you see. And the presence of God passes up and down between the cut animals in the torch and smoking pot, the flame reminding us of the presence of God. And in doing so, he takes on an irrevocable oath. In other words, the oath God made was to declare that if he were to fail to fulfill the promise, would mean the promiser would become like these animals. And so God makes the promise certain. How does he do that? Again, Hebrews helps us in two ways, the writer says. First, by his inviolate character, his perfection. And second, by the certainty of his promise because he is eternal. It is impossible for him to be frustrated in his promise. That is why, indeed it is the key, why God swears by himself. Because there is nothing greater in the universe that he is totally committed to than his specific, particular people. He establishes here a new relationship, a covenant relationship. And then, 24 years later, in Genesis 17, circumcision, the cutting of the foreskin, became the sign and seal of the covenant for Abraham and his heirs and his descendants. This is the covenant response of God's new people. In other words, they are no longer their own people. They are God's people. And we have this link to Luke's gospel. Abram was his name and becomes Abraham in the covenant of circumcision. God sets aside a people for himself. His people are cut off from the family of fallen Adam and being brought in this symbolic way into the new tribe within the covenant of God. It was a sign that the old, which was under the judgment of God, has given way, has been cut off 
in order that the new relationship might flourish. When God called Abram and Abraham out of the old, he commanded that he be circumcised and his children in faith be circumcised. Indeed, as Hebrews tells us, the promise is made to the heirs of the covenant. Even though Abraham himself asked it, in Hebrews he makes that distinction. It is not just given to the individual Abraham, but indeed to all who follow after. The symbol of being taken out of the old family of Adam and placed in the new family of the expected second Adam. We can see then, can't we, how the content of Christian baptism corresponds precisely to the content of circumcision. Because God is eternal, his promise is everlasting, the same pattern and content are applied to you and me as believers. Now the expected second Adam has come. Abraham's seed that will bring salvation to the world has come. The new age has dawned. So in this time of overlap, what Luke would have us look at, back to the origin of the covenant, he also leads us to look forward from this point. The baby Jesus was bound and laid upon wood in swaddling cloth and manger, pointing forward to being bound and laid upon wood in tight ropes and cross for your sins and mine. Jesus will fulfill in himself, in his own flesh and blood, what was in miniature symbolized in the cutting off of his foreskin on the eighth day. It is his first blood shed for you and me. Listen how the Apostle Paul gathers both circumcision and baptism in this way in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him, being Jesus Christ, also you were circumcised, and with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Christ in his totality is circumcised, recalling the prophet Jeremiah, who predicted that one day the people of God would not only receive an external sign, but gain a spiritual one, that indeed their hearts themselves would be totally dedicated to the Lord God, their hearts would be circumcised. God cuts Christ in covenant for the salvation of all nations. This is his mode that he will use. So it is by his own son being cut off from the land of the living, as the prophet Isaiah also said in Isaiah 53. In verse 8, he says, he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken 
for the transgression of my people. So the circumcision of the Lord Jesus stretches across the covenants from the covenant made with Abraham that is fulfilled in him to the terrible circumcision in blood on the cross of Calvary in which the Lord Jesus would be cut off from the land of the living. He is struck and hit for the transgression of his people. And do you know what the most amazing thing is? Right from the beginning of his life, our Lord Jesus Christ carried in his own flesh the symbol in which he would bring the fulfillment of the covenant made with Abraham. Puritan John Milton was an excellent Latinist, and he was a better poet than a theologian. But at home, I have a little book of his collected poems in English. One is called Upon the Circumcision. Listen to this line. It summarizes our text in Luke's Gospel. Entered the world, now bleeds to give us ease. Alas, how soon our sin sore doth begin his infancy to seize. Now, I think that's amazing. How soon our sin just eight days, sore doth begin, circumcision, his infancy to seize. Right from the beginning, your Savior carried in his very flesh the mark to remind him that he was destined to be cut off from life for you and for me. He's identified as the Savior. How will he save? He will save because the symbol of the Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled in his own flesh, in the new covenant of his blood. But what of his dedication? Let's consider those verses now as we close. This is to fulfill, we're told by Luke, the law of Moses, the Mosaic covenant. Luke jumps ahead now in these final verses about three weeks. The baby Jesus is just under a month old. And Luke actually describes the double fulfillment of the law God gave to Moses. The two requirements here. One is the purification of Mary. The other is the dedication of the Lord Jesus as the firstborn. Luke begins there, going so far as to quote from the law of Moses in Exodus 13, 2. It's quoted in verse 23 here. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Mary's purification is next in verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, we have already know that Luke has a focus on the poor and poverty. And so what we read here from Leviticus 12, verse 8, in the law of Moses, is that the sacrifice Mary and Joseph bring is one for a couple who has little money. It's the sacrifice of the poor. So we don't have to dwell here necessarily, except to say that the sense in the law of Moses is not 
at childbirth is unclean or that women or intimacy between a husband or wife is unclean, but rather simply this, that as sinners, we breed sinners. So God has woven into the lives of the children of Israel in the Old Testament a teaching. And the teaching was that we are by nature sinful people. You breed sinful people, you need purification, you need cleansing, you need forgiveness. So we must always keep our understanding of Old Testament law within the wider arch of redemptive teaching of our gracious God that began with the promise in the garden and confirmed in the covenant with Abraham. And so Barry and Joseph come with this double duty. You see what Luke is saying to us about our Savior? He's saying that he's come right down into our world into a family of sinners. The environment in which the Lord Jesus was born was polluted by Mary's sinfulness. And Luke is once again lending depth to his traveling companion, the Apostle Paul. Because in Romans 8, verse 3, Paul writes that Christ was sent by the Father in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was born of a sinner into a world of sin. And Luke again underlines this condescension of the Son of God. Now let's consider the dedication. Now what is all that about? Well, the Old Testament law concerning dedication is very specifically tied to God's rescue of Israel from Egypt. Luke again points backwards from this moment to the last time God has miraculously delivered his people in his chosen representative Moses. And the, this ordinance of God is set within his judgment of Egypt. It is given after the tenth and final plague that slaughtered the firstborn of the Egyptians. But the firstborn of Israel were, and this is Luke's point, ransomed and redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb. And in commemoration of this ransom, the firstborn child had to be redeemed. So Mary and Joseph are here to redeem the firstborn son. If they were to forego this requirement of God, then the child would symbolically still stand under the judgment of God and the curse of the angel of death. And it's this pattern that Luke repeats in chapter 9, verse 31, when the Lord Jesus is transfigured and a glimpse of his glory is revealed. Seen by Peter, James, and John, how Moses and Elijah spoke with Jesus of his exodus that he was about to undertake on the cross in Jerusalem. Again, Luke compares the historic exodus, triggered as it were, in the blood of the spotless lamb, pointing forward to the greater exodus, the greater redemption that the Lord Jesus would fulfill and secure. Now here is where it gets fascinating. Several commentators point this out, that although Luke records in Mary and Joseph the intention to perform the requirement, did you notice in the text there is no mention of it being carried out. They took to the temple to redeem him, 
but they left with him unredeemed. Why? There is an abruptness in the text that's obscured slightly in the English. Mary and Joseph are interrupted by Simeon and Anna. The Hello. The reason why they came was never fulfilled. Why? Because this firstborn dedicated to the Lord would fall under the judgment and curse of the angel of death, not covered by the blood of the Passover lamb, because Jesus himself becomes the Passover lamb and fulfilling in himself all the covenant that God made with his people through Moses and to whom they pointed. So that Jesus circumcised, fulfilled the covenant with Abraham, and Jesus Christ dedicated to the cross, confirmed the reality to which the covenant made with Moses pointed. So when the gospel of this Savior comes to you and me, my dear friends, it comes totally free. We contribute nothing because our Savior has done it all for us in his obedience. But when it begins to touch your life, what happens when you take on the name of Christ in baptism? It separates you. It cuts you off from the world. And ask for all that you are, all that you have. It is a sign of your union in Jesus Christ, joined with him in his suffering and in his resurrection. We can see then again, can't we, when we understand content, how circumcision and baptism are so closely related. What is Luke ultimately saying to us? that the consecration of a moment takes a lifetime to unfold and requires the grace of God for its fulfillment. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the support the show link under the contact us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the email newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.